This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles today to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. So we are on the fourth of five messages from this great book of the Bible. And uh, today we're, we're, we're talking about celebration, the celebration that comes from understanding and, um, and applying God's Word. And so let's look at Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're going to look this morning at the first 12 verses of this great chapter of God's Word. Nehemiah 8, and let's look at the first 12 verses of that chapter. The Bible says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from the, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masiah, and on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Mekhijah, Heshum, Herubiah, Zechariah, Mishalam, on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shibatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kithali, Azariah, Jodabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy that comes through your word. And as we prepare to study your word right now, we pray that you would help us to take in and really savor your promises today and to rejoice in the goodness 
of those promises. Rejoice in what you've done and what you're doing and in what you're going to do in and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the happiest time of day? There was a study that was done recently of, of uh, sort of Twitter users, and these researchers analyzed some 509 million tweets from 84 different countries. They came from like two and a half million people. And what they found was a very discernible pattern. And that is that people tend to be happier in the morning, and then things tend to go down during the course of the day, and then it tends to rise up again around dinner time and right after dinner. And so they saw this pattern that, that uh, uh, tweets tended to be more uh, happy and positive from like 6 to 9 a.m. Now, some of you are saying I wouldn't be very positive at 6 a.m., like, like my daughter Courtney. Um, but, you know, maybe by 8.30 or so, I mean, there's a certain hopefulness at the beginning of the day. And then they found that tweets tend to get more uh, negative throughout the day, and they reach sort of a trough between 3 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon before becoming more positive again towards dinner and right after dinner, you know, as people begin to settle down and relax. Now, this should be a great challenge for us as God's people because the, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to rejoice when? Always. And then the Bible tells us the, the reason for our joy, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. We can have joy always because we have the Lord always. And what we see in these first 12 verses of Nehemiah 8 is that there is a link between joy in God and understanding and rejoicing in the Word of God. I want to say that again. There is a link between joy in God and rejoicing in and understanding the Word of God. So what, what do we see here in these first 12 verses of chapter 8 of Nehemiah? The first principle is this. Joy comes when we gather under God's Word. Joy comes when we gather under God's Word. Let's look together at, at verses 1 through 3. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all could un who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, what do we see here in these verses? The first thing that we see is that we see, uh, we see unity, don't we? Unity. And we, we see this in, in, in verse 1. It says that these people gathered as, as, as one man. It's a huge crowd of people. But they were one. And then we see in verse 2 that the, the crowd was composed of both men and women and all who could understand. 
And then in verse 3, it says the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, these people, they came from different backgrounds. They were different. They were both men and women. They were different ages. They were at different places in life. They had different vocations. They had different personalities. But something brought them together. And it was the Word of God. They were coming together as one to say, we are a people of the book. The second thing that we see here is that they had the same authority. Authority. So in verse 1, we see that they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so these people saw the, the law not just as any book, but they saw it as God's book. They saw it as God's word that the Lord had commanded, that the Lord had given them. They had the same view of Scripture as the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So there was unity. There was the same view of authority. Third, they proclaimed this very openly. Openly. Verse 1 again. It says, All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Ironic term in, in our country because we think of Watergate as a very infamous apartment complex in D.C. that led to the resignation of a president. But in ancient Jerusalem, the water gate was the central gathering area of the city. In other words, this was taking place at the most public, central gathering area of Jerusalem at that time. You know, Proverbs 1 tells us this. It says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. Again, Proverbs 8 says, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in, in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. In other words, the word of God is not something that is to be hidden. It is something that is to be shared and proclaimed very openly. The fourth thing that we see here is that the people listened attentively. Attentively. Verse 3. It says the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now listen, what, what really changes our lives is not just when we listen to the words of a sermon or not even just when we, when we read our Bible, but it, we kind of let it pass through sort of like water going through a pipe. What changes our lives is when we really get into the Word of God. And we really hear the Word of God. We really take it in. That's what changes us. When we truly hear it, that's what ignites faith in our hearts. And so Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. He says in Galatians 3, 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you 
and works miracles among you. Do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. It's when we hear the word of God with faith that God begins to do incredible things in us and through us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that the word of God is a weapon in the hands of God. The word of God is the, the sword of the spirit. It's, it's a life-changing weapon. On August 2nd, 1939, President Roosevelt uh, received a letter from the renowned scientist Albert Einstein. And just imagine President Roosevelt sitting in the Oval Office and and reading this letter from the most famous scientist in the world at that point. This is August 2nd, 1939, just before the beginning of the Second World War. Einstein wrote this to the president. Sir, some recent work leads me to expect that uranium may be turned into a new and important source of energy in the immediate future. Certain aspects of the situation call for watchfulness and immediate attention. In the course of the last four months, it has become possible to set up a nuclear chain reaction in a large mass of uranium. This new phenomenon would lead to the construction of extremely powerful bombs of a new type. A single bomb of this type might very well destroy a whole territory. I understand that Germany has actually stopped the sale of uranium from the Czechoslovakian mines, which she has taken over. Now that last sentence was chilling. And it was meant to be chilling because Einstein was letting the president know that nuclear weapons are coming. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And it's a question of whether our country is going to get them first or is Adolf Hitler going to get a nuclear weapon first. And after receiving this letter, the president appointed a, a secret group called the Manhattan Project. And as it turned out, America was the first nation to, to get nuclear weapons. But the explosive power of nuclear weapons brings death. But the explosive power of the Word of God brings life to people. And one of the reasons I'm so encouraged about our church and about the future of our church is the commitment here to the Word of God. We're a church that believes the Word of God. We're a church that preaches the, the Word of God. And God promises to bless a church like that because God will stand behind His Word. That's why we can be confident to in, invest here and to give here and confident about the future here is because God promises to honor and to bless a church that believes and preaches his word. It's his word that changes lives. And so joy comes when we gather under God's word. Second, joy comes from understanding God's word. Let's look at verse 8. 
It says they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So not only was the word of God being read, but it was being explained. It was being expounded so that the people could understand what it was all about. This was not mindless religion like the pagans practiced. You know, Isaiah tells us about a guy who goes out and he cuts down a tree in the forest. And in Isaiah 44, he, he says this. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Well, those are normal things that we would do with wood, right? We use it for warmth and we use it for food, but, but then what? Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, shall I fall down before a block of wood? In other words, idolatry, we have to, we have to turn off our brains to engage in it, but to worship the living God in spirit and in truth, we have to use our brains. The, part of worshiping Him is, is understanding. It's, 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 not, it's, it's, it's knowledge. And, and look at the emphasis here throughout this text on, on understanding. Verse 2, it says that they brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. Again, in verse 3, it was in the presence of men and women and, and those who could understand. Verse 7, they helped the people understand. Verse 8, they gave the sense so that the people understood. Verse 12, they went away rejoicing because they had understood stood God's word and so this is why things like expository preaching are just so important to the health of the church vital to the health of the church because part of growing as a Christian part of understanding who God is understanding his promises how do we get that unless the Word of God is taught. It has to be taught. It has to be expounded so that it's understood. That's when it begins to, to change our lives. And you know, I, I think that one of the reasons why uh, the American church today and the church in Western Europe is so weak is because of a lack of that. We've become like, so many churches become like the ancient Israelites where the prophet Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We have to, we have to learn and understand the, the word of God. Now certainly here at our church, we're going to get expository teaching and preaching but even that is not enough. We have to take initiative ourselves to dig into the Word of God and to read it, to study it. One of the most important days 
in church history was a day in August of 386 AD, and it was the day that a young man named Aurelius Augustine was converted to Christ. And there was a storm that was raging in his soul on that day, the day that he came to know the Lord. And he tells us about it in his classic book, The Confessions. Augustine says this, There was a small garden attached to the house where we lodged. I was now driven to take refuge in the garden where no one could interrupt that fierce struggle in which I was my own contestant. I was beside myself with madness that would bring me sanity. I was dying a death that would bring me life. I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to the tears which now streamed from my eyes. In my misery, I kept crying, How long shall I go on saying, Tomorrow, tomorrow? Why not now? All at once, I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Whether it was a voice of a boy or a girl, I cannot say, but again and again, it repeated the refrain, Take it and read. Take it and read. Now, Augustine knew in that moment that the living God was sending him a message. And he picked up a nearby Bible, began to read in the book of Romans, and that explosive life-giving power of God's Word, just, it, just, it, just, it, just, it just exploded in his heart and life. And he became, aside from the Apostle Paul, the most important theologian in the first thousand years of the Christian church, and he still impacts us today. Now, what could happen in you and through you? If you take it and read, God's Word changes lives. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Now, why were they weeping? It was because of the contrast between the purity of what they were hearing in the Word of God and the darkness of their own sin. And in that moment, they understood the, the gravity of their own sin compared to the purity and the holiness of God. And, and they were mourning, they were, they, were, they were grieving their own sin. But look at what Nehemiah tells them in verse 10. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah tells them, stop weeping and start feasting. Why? Because the Word of God not only tells us about the gravity of our sin, the Word of God tells us about the grace of a Savior. And because of that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. Verses 11 and 12. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, 
For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Listen, when we understand not just the gravity of our sin, but the grace of the Savior. And when we, when we understand the work of the Savior, that, that in, instead of giving us just condemnation for our sin, that God became a human being and took our sins upon Himself in our place and died in our place on a cross, and paid for the penalty of our sins in full so that we can, our sins, past, present, and future, can be forgiven under the blood of Christ. And when we understand that Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death in our place, and when we understand that He is coming again in victory, listen, we can rejoice when we understand those things. There is joy that springs forth from that. You know, this feast that takes place here is, is really a, a foreshadowing of another feast. The great marriage supper of the Lamb that is going to take place when, when Jesus returns in, in victory and we're going to feast together, the bride and the bridegroom. Babette's Feast is a story of, of grace. It's a, it's a novel that was later turned into a, a movie. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's about a famous chef from Paris, Babette. And she's experienced great loss in her life. Her, her husband and her, her child have passed away and she's beside herself with grief. And so Babette goes to a little island off the coast of Denmark that's populated by this, uh, this very somber religious sect. And uh, these, these people are very, you know, they're very, they're very somber and kind of, of, of morose. But that but, 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 but finds love among them and finds acceptance there. And she wants to do something for these people, some act of love for them. She discovers a long forgotten lottery ticket and she knows that she has she has the winning number and so she decides to take the winnings and she's going to throw a feast for this community like they have never experienced before and so for weeks french delicacies from paris arrive at the docks of this small island and the, the villagers know by this point that Babette is planning to throw a, a, a great feast. And they say among themselves, they say, well, we'll attend the feast, but only out of respect for Babette. We're, we're not going to really allow ourselves to enjoy it. We'll just attend uh, for, to, 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 uh, out of respect for her. But then, on the day of the feast, something incredible happens. As these people sit around the table and as this wonderful uh, food is, is, is served they begin to open up they begin to loosen up 
There were people in that community that had lived, lived together all of their lives, but they really didn't know each other. They were still strangers to one another. And around the table, they began to open up to one another. There, there were people at that table that had nursed grudges against one another for years. And, and, and sitting around that table with, with that wonderful food and drink, they began to forgive one another. And the walls began to come down at this feast. And after the feast, this time of joy, uh, Babette sits among all of these dirty dishes, utterly ex- exhausted. And one of her friends says to her, they said, you're always going to remember this night when you return to Paris. And then Babette drops the bombshell. She says, I'm not going to return to Paris. She said, all of, all of the money that I would have used to return to Paris was, was given to to this event. See, it's a picture of the God. It's a picture of grace. She gave everything that she had for the joy of others. That's the story of the gospel. The, the, what Jesus has done for us. It, it, it cost the giver everything and it comes to the recipients as a free gift. Now listen, we love because He first loved us. We give because of what has been given to us in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for the gospel. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the inexpressible gift that has been given to us in the Savior. And so, Lord... The, the love that we give, the grace that we give, everything that we give of our resources, we want to do out of an overflow and a response to that grace that has been given to us. And so, Lord, as we prepare to make these commitments now, most of all, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what has been given. And we thank you for the fact that we could never outgive you. And we pray it in His name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as His beloved child, His very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are His child. You say, I love Him. 
How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.